All right, let me pick up where we left off. We're in 1 John chapter 4. And we left off on verse 4. So I'll just read from verse 1 down to verse 4 to get us back into context. Uh, and as we recall with what uh, John is dealing with, he is dealing with, well, he's dealing with a group of false teachers. Uh, doesn't really matter specifically what they're teaching false on. He's dealing with false teachers. However, in context, uh, specifically he's dealing with docetists or what we would call the Gnostics. Uh, really, docetists were the very first versions of the Gnostics, and they had a, uh, an unusual belief in... Jesus, specifically the body that Jesus had, which then affected uh, their view on uh, the sinful nature and so forth of Jesus. So they had a whole doctrine based on um, the body of Jesus, specifically being uh, body, the body itself being inherently evil. So that's what he's dealing with. Now, uh, of course, we deal with false teachers today, so we can certainly learn from this, but He's also talking about, as he makes a distinction between the false teachers or those that believe this false doctrine, he's making a distinction of those who are the children of God as opposed to those who are not the children of God. And he makes it clear it doesn't really matter what somebody says they are. You can tell if they're children of God based on a number of things. And he gives some tests here on uh, things they would believe. Also, he gives uh, things that you would see them uh, doing in action, specifically loving their brethren and so forth. So that's what we're dealing with here. Uh, and he corrects a number of things. But here in verse 1, and again, we start off with the same idea <clears throat> uh, because of false teachers. He says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth, confesseth, that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is, is it in the world. Now, when he says there in verse 2, talking about those that confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that is because the docetists did not teach that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Uh, they taught that he did not have an earthly physical body, and as we pointed out last week, if he did not have an earthly physical body, he could not shed physical blood. Okay, and so the physical blood was needed for the remission of. That would drive me crazier than it probably will drive you guys. Let me fix that real quick. All right. Again, verse 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. That's important. Let's keep it in context, the them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. All right, ye. Ye here is in the emphatic position in the Greek text, which literally rendered is, ye out of God are little children. Right? These are the ones who are out of God, or they are the offspring of God. We as Christians are the offspring of God. Okay? Again, you would know that in a number of ways. He's pointing out here that these are the faithful of God. Okay? The children of God. Uh, we could go into a lot more detail on that, but we don't need to. 
Emphasis here being given to the pronoun for the purpose of distinguishing between the readers and the false teachers under consideration in the context. He's pointing out the difference here between them, the offspring of God, as opposed to those who are false prophets. And that's actually how he starts off chapter 4. So he's making, again, a distinction between the two. Uh, today in the religious world, we would have to do the same. If we were to take every single person around who claims to be a Christian, put all of us in one building, and then we began to talk about the offspring of God, we would have to make a distinction between those who are truly the offspring of God and those who may claim it, like these docetists did. They claimed that they were also the offspring of God. We would have to make a distinction there. Now, I hate to say this, but that would not go over very well. Uh, you begin to talk about religious differences and beliefs and that some things are wrong religiously, you'll begin to get pushback. And I'm sure that there was when this, when this took place, especially if they would have taken this letter and read it to the congregation. And within that congregation, you had faithful Christians and those who were the false prophets, those who were the docetists. How do you think that would come across reading this letter in the congregation where he is, he is pointing out that there are some who are not faithful Christians? Do you think that would have been received very well? No. But that's what he's doing here. He is making a distinction between the two. They were easily distinguished from each other. The saints were on the one side, and the false teachers were on the other. I have to be very careful how I say this. I'm aware of a congregation that had a split uh, some time ago, uh, and within the congregation, they sit on opposite sides of the aisle. Literally, one's on one side, and the other's on the other side. I don't know if it was to the same extent in this congregation, but has anybody ever been to a congregation where there was hatred within the church and you saw that kind of stuff going on? I've seen it. Uh, my guess is this congregation was probably, at, was probably that bad, being that you had some, certainly, that were teaching false doctrine. Uh, but they're, they're on two different sides, okay? Some are saying, yep, he had a physical body. Others are saying he didn't have a physical body because the physical body is sinful, and therefore he had a spiritual body, uh, and he didn't shed physical blood where the other people are saying he did shed physical blood. Guys, this leads into all kinds of doctrinal error. Go ahead, Jerry. I just think of, you know, good and evil, right? And, and those that are of the world and those that are of God. And, and I always see that little uh, picture that we've, seen, that we've all seen it before where there's, you know, uh, paradise and Abraham's bosom, okay? And then there's two compartments there. And in heaven... Mm -hmm. Those that are of God and those that aren't of God. And we get to choose while we're here which one we're in. Yep. And we don't after we're gone. So. And, and those all, all of the two different realms he's talking about, two realms on earth, two realms in the Hadean realm, two realms in heaven. Notice again, those are all spiritual realms. Right. Here on earth, it's, it's physically one place, but there's the two groups. Usually those pictures don't emphasize here on earth. Mm -mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I wish that we got a lot more information as we look. I mean, we get a lot of information from John here, and some of it you really have to sit and actually kind of pick out because once you know what the docetists were teaching, I mean, it really points itself out that he's clearly calling out their specific teaching. Notice this they are of God, and he says, You've overcome them. Well, you'd have to ask yourself, who's the them here? 
Well, if we keep this in context, I mean, literally, look at what he's talking about. The word overcome here is translated from a perfect verb, thus indicating that John's readers had earlier, they had already reached a decision regarding these false teachers. They had rejected them, and they were still convicted of their being in error. They had over, they literally, they looked at these false teachers and realized what they are teaching is wrong, okay? And then they made a decision on that, that they were not in alignment with it. They had overcome these false teachers. Does that always solve the problem within a congregation? Well, of course not. We could have someone come in here and let's say they were teaching the false 80-70 doctrine and we could refute it. We could all study it and say, oh, clearly 100% what that guy is teaching is not correct. That still does not resolve the issue within the congregation because that person may still continue to attend here. Now, maybe church discipline would take place and they would, uh, they would be told not to attend here anymore because of the danger. But let's say that they did continue to attend here. You still have to worry about the, their false teaching. Even though you have, you've overcome that teaching, it still doesn't 100% it doesn't solve the issue within the congregation. The very fact that they have overcome them, I know hasn't 100% dealt with the issue because John's writing on it. He's actually coming back and making it very clear that, no, these are not faithful Christians. They are false prophets, false teachers, uh, and they, they are teaching false things. They're still dangerous. That wouldn't surprise me a bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think you would have the same arguments. Using the docetists for an example, right? They would say something probably like this. And tell me if this doesn't sound like today on anything you disagree on. Let's, let's compare it to baptism, right? You would say, well, you, you guys teach Jesus didn't have a physical body. And they'd say, we're, we're just talking about a difference in what we believe his body was. That's not a big deal, right? That's not a, that's not a doctrinal issue. Let's pause for a minute. How about baptism? People there say... You say baptism is necessary, I say it's not. I mean, that's not a big issue. Look at, look at the resulting doctrines that come off of both of those. If he didn't have a physical body, he didn't shed physical blood, so there's a problem right there. What's the second problem? Well, why, does he, why do you believe he didn't have a physical body? Well, they didn't believe he had a physical body because they believe the body is inherently sinful. So they had Calvinistic tendencies, basically the idea of you're depraved from the beginning. There's another doctrinal error, right? We could continue on. Uh, so it's not just, oh, well, there's a difference in what we think about the body. Go to baptism. They say, well, it's not, it's not a big deal. You think we have to, some think we don't. Well, no, let's start looking at Christ, uh, verses. How do you actually get into Christ? Through baptism, right? How do you contact the blood? Through baptism. What gives the remission of sins? Obedience to baptism. So on, those are just two examples, but people will say things like, well, you know, th those aren't really doctrinal issues. Well, yeah, they are. When you start to break them down, they lead into tons of other doctrinal issues where it refutes the Scriptures. Uh, and, and again, probably like Jerry said, they would say, well, why are you being, why are you being so judgmental? You know, we can, we can just agree to disagree. Yeah, it's not a fellowship issue. Guys, that's what happened within the church in the, really in the later 1800s, but actually, the actual split really in the early 1900s with the the church when you had those that split off into the Christian church and or the disciples of Christ. Over what? Really two issues. What were the two issues? Instrumental music was one. 
Well, no, the Holy Spirit was an issue, but that wasn't the other one. Did you say it? Missionary society. There's nothing that governs, uh, you know, the works of the church. And those were the two issues. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Uh, that leads into a whole. That leads into a whole other discussion. Yeah. So it's funny when the missionary when the missionary society when the missionary society came in and that really that caused a huge divide in the church. And we said, okay, it is not authorized for basically um, multiple congregations to, it wasn't just how the work was being carried out, but they literally, they literally created an organization larger than the church, right? The Missionary Society was a organization overseen by elders, so it's not actually of a congregation, but it's being carried out by congregations. So they say it's a work of the church, but it's not overseen by any specific church or elders. Yep, and they would, they would send representatives. Um, somebody, I'm not going to say their name, and I'm not going to get, let me just ask you guys a question. I got an email a week and a half ago, uh, and here was their question. What is your thoughts on the Churches of Christ disaster relief in which uh, multiple different congregations send money to a specific overseeing body, and they therefore use that, that money and they said, you know, they're, they're doing something good. Uh, and they said, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Does anybody, have, does anybody have any thoughts on that organization? Are there any issues that somebody should be concerned about? Has anybody ever even thought about it? I asked a number of questions. I said, can you please show me anywhere in the scriptures where we have any organization larger than a local body carrying out works of the church? This is part of the reason that we had the issue with the Missionary Society. The same thing. I didn't tell them what I thought. Can you show me an example of that and so forth? Uh, I then asked the question. Now, some would say when you send them money, you don't lose your autonomy whatsoever. And most people will say you don't lose your autonomy because if you disagree with what they're doing, you can just not send money anymore. That's their argument. Here's the, here's the real question, though. If I send them money... That work is not overseen by any specific congregation or any specific eldership. You may have different groups, but they're all sending money there. Do I have any autonomy whatsoever? I mean, I could quit sending money, but if I send money there, how is that money spent? Now, I can't imagine that group spending money to go out and do something simple, but I don't know. I don't know. But there's a whole number of questions that I asked them, and they wrote back and said, yeah, I was thinking the same thing on a number of those questions. I didn't tell them what I thought. I said, I have an issue with the fact that this is not seen. This is, a, this is an organization larger than, the, there is no organization local than the larger church anywhere in scripture. You have local bodies carrying out local works, right? What happens when you have tons of congregations all sending money somewhere? Who's, who's overseeing the money? How do I even know that they're actually being honest with the money? There's so many questions that come up when you start to get into that. You would think. What are they actually teaching? Good question. Another problem. Yeah. Who's teaching it and what are they teaching? They're not under the oversight of any elders. No. They're getting support from 
Now, not many people would question the Churches of Christ disaster relief because people say, well, certainly they're doing good. People's houses got flooded. I agree people's houses got flooded. That's not, we're not discussing the, the good that they're doing. We're discussing biblical example, who's overseeing the work, how the work's being carried out, what are they teaching, who's teaching it, who observes the money, who monitors the money. There's so many questions that are asked. And yet, I guarantee you there are brethren that are hearing me say this right now are like, I cannot believe that he would even say things like that. How would he talk bad about, about that work? I'm not talking bad about it. I'm asking questions that people need to, answer, that they need to ask. Well, the main question is what kind of pamphlet are they handing out when they do that work? Oh, I agree. What are they teaching? There's a number of there are a number of groups that claim to be works of the churches of Christ that are not overseen by congregations. They're overseen by boards of directors that are voted in. When I'll grab you, Jerry. When you have a board of director, sometimes they're more worried about being reelected to boards of directors, or they're more worried about political things or other things than they are worried about adhering to the scriptures. Uh, plus, again, we don't have organizations larger than the local body observing and carrying out works of the church. And again, that's, this all started when we had the Missionary Society. Guys, it's just a do-over of something that already caused a split in the church. It's, it's a different issue, but it's the same thing. I know. Because this board could do whatever they wanted as long as they approve it. That board of directors made that vote or that decision. And my comment was, well, if this is not the church, then what are we doing here? Exactly. And that's exactly what you find applied to things like Freed Hardeman. They'll say, oh, well, you know, they claim to be a work of the church or an, an offshoot of the church. You had the whole pornography issue without even going into detail. And that, I saw that comment tons. This isn't the church. But it is overseen by Christians. There's another problem. It shouldn't look any different than a church, mm -mm. right? If, if it's a bunch of people from the church doing the work, right, it should look just like the church. Yeah. And, and, they, and they had all kinds of reasons why they could do what they wanted to do. And then they brought in Baptist groups, and they wanted to put their T-shirts on the wall, that kind of stuff. Now, what's coming up right here shortly, they're bringing in Oklahoma Christian University, right? Which everyone they, been marked numerous times. Yeah. A, a school that's went astray. And it's just keep on going further. Oh, it's just, yeah, oh, yeah. Do what they want apart from the church. Anytime you hear somebody say, well, this isn't a work of the church, 
one of the things you ought to be asking is, then why do you claim to be doing the work of the church? Fried Hardeman says, we're not, we're not a work of the church. Quit claiming, then, to be associated in a work of the church. Quit claiming to be a Christian university. Because anytime you get called out, not just them, Oklahoma Christian, any of the schools that do this, uh, quit claiming to be an offshoot of the church or a work of the church or whatever, right? You're not carrying out the work of the church, so qu quit it when you're going to use that argument. Yeah. Why wasn't that okay? Why wasn't it okay to get money from other places? Yeah, I had somebody actually today we had a discussion uh, about some of that stuff. The works of the church have always been paid by members of the church. We don't take money from non-Christians. We don't do it. Uh, it gives off a bad image. I had a conversation today with someone and we were talking about money and I was asking them a question. And they're like, that looks horrible. I'm like, it does look horrible. It looks like if, a if the church was to do that, it makes you no different than the world, right? Let me point something else out. When you had the missionary society, when you had the dispute over the missionary society, and I can't go back and do a lot of history on this, but Alexander Campbell initially opposed, he initially opposed that stuff, all of it. And I can't go back and explain all this, but when his son died from, they were, he was swimming under the, uh, under the water there at a grist mill and he ended up drowning. And when he came back, Alexander Campbell was never the same. And even uh, a number of the gentlemen who knew Alexander Campbell said he's not the same. He now tolerates or condones things that he never tolerated or condoned before. The church would have never, ever promoted or done those things except that Alexander Campbell gave the, or he gave the agreement to do it, right? Uh, which initially he had opposed that stuff. That caused a number of problems within the congregation. But when, when the missionary society thing happened and there was a split, let me tell you something that was not happening. Those that said, hey, we don't think this is authorized, you didn't hear people saying, well, they're just a bunch of antis. Right? We hear the term anti all the time, and people use it in a lot of different derogatory ways, and it means a lot of different things. You had those that were of the church, and they said, this is not scriptural. And then you had those that said, we think it's perfectly scriptural, and they did it. It's funny how over time the church has continued to delineate and segregate itself into smaller and smaller and smaller groups uh, until you've now got mainstream over here. I don't, know, I don't know another word to use for it. You've got mainstream over here, and then you've got conservative, but then the conservative groups are broke down into even more groups, some of them with very unusual teachings, like we talked about the catcher sides and a lot of different... There's just scriptural and unscriptural, right? There's a number of problems over the years. The Missionary Society was one of the issues that hit, but it's not even the biggest or the worst. We've had a number of issues that have happened with the church. Should we be surprised? No, it was happening in the first century. Here they've got docetists, but it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. So he made a correction. That's what we got to do every day. Yeah. We're, we're going to veer off. Everybody does at some point. And then we repent and veer back. You must be talking, you're talking about Uzzah? 
probably where others had touched the. Yeah. Yeah. I saw Wendy's hand go up too. Did, they did segregate. Man has always done that. Divisions, sex. Whenever it mentions those in the scripture, it talks about those who held the law. It talks about the Pharisees. It talks about legalism, pretty much in other terms. But they've always done that in scripture. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the sad part is, is there are a lot of people probably who are like I was and maybe some of you who literally just didn't know. That doesn't give me a, that didn't give me a pass. I didn't know. And I did a lot of bad things. I, some of those things I knew were wrong. Don't get me wrong. But there were a lot of things I did religiously that I just didn't know. I think that does describe probably the majority of people around us. Now, there are some who do know better and they just don't care. But I honestly believe the majority of people I talk to, because I kind of try to feel them out, I honestly believe the majority of people I talk to who are off scripturally, I think they have no idea. No idea, not even close. Oh, yeah. Admit, I'm wrong. And if the Bible says I'm wrong, like we came out of denominationalism, I have a totally wrong idea of the Holy Spirit. I have a totally wrong idea. People have to correct me, and it's not fun. And you kind of want to dig your heels in, like, no, I'm, I'm right. I'm right. Because you don't want to, but you got to humble yourself and not be unwilling to hear I was wrong. And you, you know how easy it was for me when I first realized I was wrong? The easy, for anybody who's struggling with this, maybe on, who's watching this online, the easiest thing for me that I ever found was to actually just say, I just don't know. And that took, it, for me, that took all the responsibility of the ignorance that I had really off my shoulder because if you could just tell someone, I just don't know, then you're open to actually hearing, contemplating, thinking about studying, and then eventually getting to the truth. But a lot of people, like Sam said, they're really just going to dig their heels in and No, not at all. Every one of us, every one of us has, I think, would in here would admit there are a lot of things that we've either struggled with or thought about and then realized I think I was slightly... Some, there are times when I read a verse and I'm like, oh, I, wow, I never realized that that verse was corresponding with or had regard to this passage over here or... I mean, that happens all the time. Still all the time now. Yeah, I mean... Quite often I read something and I'm just shocked when I read it. I'm like, wow, how did I never notice that? So, what do they say today? It only takes how long for, for us to lose the faith? How, how many generations? Less than one. One generation, the faith could pretty much be gone, right? No, 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 I'm not saying it's biblical at all. Yeah. I think we got to be careful with that. Hey, it takes a generation. That might lead someone to think like, hey, yeah, in 40 years, you know, honestly, it could take a month. Oh, yeah, it could. Oh, yeah. With someone. It, could it could take a friendship. It could take, honestly, it could take a week. I'm glad you pointed that up. Oh, yeah. 
Well, I'm glad you said that because one of the kids I went to, one of the guys I went to school with who's married, I don't know if they had children. You probably know the gentleman I'm talking about who um, left the faith completely, who's, uh, they don't have children. Well, he, he got sick. I'm not going to give his name. He got sick and he began to read, it's one of Rubel Shelley's buddy, uh, Mark Hicks. Please don't go look up the guy. Actually, please don't read anything that he teaches. You know don't read him or Rubel Shelley today. because. But anyways, he began to read Mark Hicks' uh, material, and he came to the belief that there was nothing any... This is, and this is what Rubel Shelley taught. Rubel Shelley said there was not one iota that anything that any man could do uh, pertaining to their salvation. Mark Hicks was teaching the same thing, and he came to the realization that um, you don't have to do anything to be saved at all. No obedience required at all. And when I called him and talked with him, because I personally called him, um, he, I said, your only, logical, your only logical outcome from this is pure universalism. And his response was, I don't want to discuss this with you anymore. Less than, a, less than a couple of months it took for him to go from being, a, as I knew, a faithful gospel preacher to a full-out, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him an atheist. I wouldn't call him an agnostic because he believed in God, but he believed nothing. What, I mean, he was just pure rank error. I threw all mine away. Yeah. 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 I threw, so I used to have a bunch of Rubel Shelley's books, and I'll grab Jerry at his arm. I had a bunch of his books in my office, and they were all sound and good, and I threw them away because he's such a rank heretic now. I didn't, I didn't want anybody to see him in my office and think that I actually read his material, but his early material was wonderful. Go ahead, Jerry. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we all need to study for ourselves, right? But if, if nothing's being taught in certain issues in the church, then those problems will creep up. I mean, take, take this. This is small. We're not going to. So somebody, I was uh, having a discussion, and somebody said, do you think that it is repetitive and overdone within the churches of Christ regarding always ending every worship service or gathering with uh, the plan of salvation or offering um, the plan of salvation. Some people say, well, it's just overdone. And granted, you can do it different, but it goes back to what Jerry said. And there's a lot of congregations that have officially just quit. They do not give any type of a, of a um, chance to obey the gospel. They don't go through, some people call it the plan of salvation, wh whatever you want to call it. What happens when you begin teach stop when you stop teaching the actual the method of salvation on a regular basis? What happens? Like Jerry was just saying. Start to get used to it. And then can the kids even tell someone how? Do they grow up in the in the pews even knowing how to tell someone how to obey the gospel? You may say it's overdone, but I'd say the majority of children here, 
probably could explain to somebody what they need to do. Even, even if they couldn't quote the verses, they could say, well, you need to obey, you need to hear the gospel, you need to believe it, you need to repent, you need to confess. What happens when we quit teaching that? And you don't know who's here or, or, or where they're at, maybe for the younger ones. Right. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, but just a second point. Um, there's, there's three official points in any right. sermon. Right. <laughs> 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 I, could, I could do this. Yeah, anyways. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think everybody's seen that movie. Um, anyways, you know, I, as you were talking, back to the generational thing, like, hey, where did, kind of like, where did you lose it? And every generation, I'm assuming, or I'm hoping, kind of looks back and asks that question. Because um, even in our generation, we're not even, we're not even old yet, and we're still kind of asking, like, well, man, where did our generation go wrong? And I think about back to, like, Deuteronomy, there's probably more spots in the Old Testament to say it, but I remember reading that in the last couple weeks, and, you know, they, they said pretty much word for word, they were telling children of Israel to make sure you tell your kids, like tell the commands and, and tell why and the purpose of it and all that. And it just makes me wonder as they went in this cycle of righteousness and apostasy and righteousness and apostasy, kind of like what Jerry was saying, you know, multiple good through bad kings and then a good one. Somewhere in there, I'm wondering if they forgot or neglected the, hey, oh yeah, we got to remember to tell them about the law, why, you know, we were in Egypt all these bad things that happen and why we follow God and why, you know, I'm wondering if we just kind of, we think, ah, it's already, it's nailed down. We don't need to go back over it. You know, I'm wondering if we just kind of neglect that and then that's kind of the cycle of apostasy because we think for some odd reason we've got it down. And Jerry brought up like marriage, divorce and remarriage. Let's just pick marriage in general. I can't, like, before everything went down here, I could probably count on one hand the amount of marriage sermons or marriage sermon uh, series that we had had over the course of 15, 20 years, whatever that I had been here at the time. And we saw multiple counts of adultery. I think I, I can say that because everybody knows those things happen. Well, did we think that we had that down? Did we think like, hey, the marriage stuff, we don't have to cover that. It's, it's all said and done. You know, love your wife like Christ loved the church, wives respect, you know, all that. We think we had it down. Well, maybe we needed to cover that more. Maybe we needed, you know, like Jerry was saying, to teach the whole counsel of God. And it might be redundant, but man, looking back, it looks like we sure needed it. Mm -hmm. Well, to add to that real quick, is you know, God tells us about the man that looks in the mirror and then forgets. Forgets. Yeah, straightway forgets. We're all that man, right? Mm -hmm. We forget. Yeah. Don't have that. 
and that's the majority of everyone, even if they're in the church, that don't have that teaching at home, that aren't ogling their Bible at home, and aren't teaching their kids those specific things. It's so good to hear a man get up front and read, why are we taking the bread? Why are we taking the fruit of the vine? And to hear it over and over again so that when somebody asks them, they're ready to give an account why we do those things because they can remember, oh yeah, I remember that. I hear that. Yeah. And you hope that if they, for whatever reason, do get away from the teachings of the church or become unfaithful, you hope that one day hearing it over and over and over again, because how many of you guys still hear the things you were taught as a kid from your parents, where even though we all strayed from what our parents told us to do, but as we got older, we looked back and we remembered those things, and then we realized, oh, wait a minute, they were right. Uh, I, I mean, I know quite a few people who have left the church and have come back, and you have to wonder, for those that went to faithful congregations, was it the fact that they remembered because they've heard it over and over and over again? I don't know. The congregation that we're looking at here, it's clear that they're having problems within the congregation. It's not any different than today. They're dealing with a different teaching, specifically the, the docetists. We'll, we'll start on it, and if we don't finish, we won't finish. It's not a big deal. They are of the world. Again, let's keep in context who he's talking about. Therefore, speak they of the world and the world heareth them. So who's he talking about? Who's the they? Well, let's keep it in context. We're talking about the docetists. These are the ones that are teaching that Jesus didn't have a physical body. They teach that because they think the body was sinful, uh, so they struggle with that. So they teach Jesus had this mystical spiritual body, and then when he died, some of them were actually teaching he didn't even literally die on the cross. He didn't shed literal blood on the cross. These men who are teaching these false doctrines, they are of the world. They think like the world. They have the same logic of the world. They think they're so smart. That's where the word, uh, the Gnostics come from, right? The knowing ones. Uh, you ever talk to someone who just acts like and thinks they're so smart, but in reality they're not? Well, that's who these people are. They're of the world. They think like the world. And therefore, uh, was the world is the origin and the source of that which they were and taught. They think like the world, they're going to teach worldly concepts and worldly ideas. And again, they're focusing on worldly stuff, right? Uh, he, he couldn't have had a physical body. Uh, they're getting away from the spiritual, really from what the standard... All the way through the Old Testament, what was it saying? There's a Messiah coming, he's going to shed his blood. There's going to be a Redeemer, right? Even Job knew that. Job knew there was a Redeemer coming. These guys are struggling with who he was as the Redeemer because of their kind of worldly beliefs and ideas about who he was physically. Jesus made a similar statement to the Jews who advocated false doctrines and possessed the very same spirit of error. Notice here in John 8, 44. And this goes back, this is basically just like the docetists. Year of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. All right, so, just as God is seen in his followers, so too are the ways of Satan seen in his followers in the world. It's not any different. Again, John's making very clear there are those who are of God, there are those who are not of God. And if they're not of God, they are of the world. There's really only two groups, right? There's righteous and unrighteous. There's those who are of God, and then there's those who are of the world. But the sad part is, is there are some who think they are of God who are actually of the world, 
And even worse, there are some who are of the world that actually think they're of God. Both of those groups that think they are of God, whether they're actually in the, in the church and they're not, or whether they're in the world and they're not, for me personally, it's very sad. What I mean is, is this. There are those within the church who think they're saved because they're Church of Christers. They're not faithful, and they're not, they're not in a saved position. If they were to die because of the sin that they're involved in and so forth, they're not going to heaven. Just as sad, though, is that, that there are some in the church who claim to be, who think they're saved, think they're on their way to heaven, but they're not. There are those in the world, a ton. We work with them every day. And you hear it all the time. They think they are faithful Christians and they think they are going to heaven. They have been, they have been deceived and have a false illusion of the fact that they are heaven bound. And they die around us all the time. With the false assumption that their family members and they are heaven bound. To me, it is extremely sad that there are so many who have been deceived, not only within the church, but also outside the church. What year was that, John? What year was that pickup truck that went by? I think it was a, a Dodge. I could be wrong. Anyways. That's, that's a Ford. I'm going to actually stop on time. Uh, we'll read the passage, though. He makes a distinction here. I mean, he points out here, these people, these false teachers, they're of the world. Uh, and they think worldly. Uh, and their, their teachings and their thoughts are based on worldly concepts and worldly ideas. But he makes a distinction here, and he says, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Notice he breaks it out again. You've got those who are of God and you have those who are of the world. The ones who are of God know the spirit of truth. That is the spirit inspired or the truth inspired through the Holy Spirit. And then the opposite side are those who have the spirit of error. Right? Anything that contradicts the scriptures. So again, he's defining this down within the two groups. And he does that continuously here through the book. As he refers back to them, again, we're talking about the docetists, or you could summarize them up as um, false teachers. But what else does he call them? Antichrists. Opposition to Christ and the teachings of Christ, the will of Christ. Well, 1 John's probably not one of the most favorite books when you begin to talk about calling out those who are in doctrinal error, especially problems within the congregation. But... That's exactly what we learn as we begin to read through 1 John and really notice what it is that the congregation is dealing with. I'm going to go ahead and hand this over to who's Brother Joe. I'll hand this over to Joe.